All right, welcome to the new and improved news uh, section of the Crypto Conversion Podcast. Well, those of you listening on the audio, this is the intro to the episode with Sam. Um, But for those of you watching on the YouTube, this is just your weekly crypto news that we found interesting this week. Um, Fortunately, the news cycle did not disappoint and we were able to get some good insights from some of our connections regarding the launch of PayPal's U.S. dollar stable coin. Um, this, I think, has been in the works for a while. I have been on the record saying that I thought Venmo and PayPal had something already, but they just hadn't brought it out to market. And I think that this is their Web3 equivalent. So I've seen... I've seen all kinds of takes from this is great mainstream adoption to look at these capitalist pigs taking advantage of the Ethereum pool. Um, a wide variety of takes here. I'm just curious where you guys kind of sit with this. Um, this this does kind of lean towards CBDC tendencies um, to say at, at the minimum, I, I guess. We'll just kind of kick it off from there. What you guys, what your thoughts are on it. Matt, uh, yes, so the the PayPal <laughs> thing. Um, the um, first of all, I think the um, acronym or the the ticker is a little weird because like PYUSD. And in my circles, if anything has a PY in it, it's Python. You know, it's coded in Python, so it's like, mm-hmm. no, this is not the Python US dollar. This is the. Well, they had to be know, PY because otherwise they would be PP and. You don't want to be PPUSD. P something. Anyway, so yeah, PPUSD. I don't know. Anyway, so they. You don't want to be PPUSD. No, 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 you don't. Um, I, it's interesting, right? Because it's, it's, uh, and we were sort of talking about this in the episode, right? There's this concern about CBDCs. Um, there's, uh, but then. I, I to get political here, right? A CBDC is authoritarian. Um, a PayPal USD, every corporation launching their own currency feels kind of libertarian, right? It's let the businesses do what they want, right? It's free market. You know, everyone has their own currency. Um, and so it's like, <laughs> there's the same amount of control in both places, right? If perhaps if every, you know, Buddy had launched our own currency. We could say, "Oh, we're going to use the ones that are, you know, controlled by people whose values I share, or the ones I don't." Um, but it, I, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's hard to like wrap my head around this, right? Like, like it, it seems very, it seems like a free market thing, right? The same way that you know we have these payment processors like Visa and and Mastercard and PayPal and Venmo and you know Zelle and everyone else. Um, you know, and they become really big. And then is it like, oh, we just don't like when they're big. It's like, I, I, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's interesting, right. That we, we treat these businesses as authoritative, right. It can't be a CBDC because they're not a central bank, right. It has controls in it. Uh, so does USDT. So does USDC. So does mm-hmm. BUSD. Um, I yeah. think one of the unique things with the PayPal USD is that it they have uh where the other ones are able to freeze your funds um it seems like the PayPal USD is able to um erase them 
Um, so, you know, it's, it's kept on chain. I have, uh, you know, a hundred million dollars or a hundred million USDT that I stole from someone and they, they froze my account because they don't want, you know, me laundering that money. Um, where the PayPal one, you know, they would delete it. It would look like I have nothing. Um, so anyway, I, I thought that's kind of interesting, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm would sitting be with- fine. I think it would be fine, yeah. fine if it was like free market, like you say. Yeah, okay, PayPal launches their coin, and uh, USDC can launch their coin, and USDT, and anybody can launch their coin. But I mean, it's just that's not the case, right? Because the Web3 community just hasn't really proven itself, at least with these platforms, that they're really resilient against censorship at all. I mean, this is a perfect case. Who are they launching their stable coin with? It's Paxos or Paxos. Paxos Trust Company. Yep. The same people who are issuing. BUSD, and because of the regulation, that project got shut down, right? Yeah, that's true. And that's right. now Paxos is going to do PayPal. So the regulation basically pushed out these foreign companies, shoehorned in a U.S. company, um, and what? Like, what, what? What happened to the free market there? It's not like BUSD yeah. had a fair shot, right? So these are all these are these are all joint fair. ventures. These are all joint ventures, and it it's all about who you can get to be your perfect front essentially so paxos obviously they didn't have they weren't driving the right car when they launched their first stable coin they do it with paypal they look golden because it's paypal traded on the stock market one of the best stocks almost everybody's 401k or a mutual fund portfolio has some paypal in it what could go wrong you know that that's that's ultimately what's going on right here. I think the other thing too, I, I shared this on Twitter, but uh, there was one of the developers for the PayPal stablecoin put out this whole tweet thread explaining how people were getting it completely wrong and how this is actually good for crypto. And of course, people were going back and forth about that. But I mean, really, no matter what, no matter how you look at it, like I just oppose PayPal at face value. Like the company is terrible. They they ban like they're one of the biggest was behind probably Stripe and Visa or Chase Bank yeah. in general. They're one of the big censoring uh, payment processes that kick people off constantly. I mean, people, and when you really look at it, like a lot of these people, they can't do business then if they get pushed off of all these platforms. And it does happen. And it's like, they're just destroying people's livelihoods like that, you know? And so like, I'm supposed to celebrate that now they're coming onto Web3 and bringing adoption. Like yeah. I can't. So... Yeah. All right. Let's let's move over to layer two base. I'm curious what you guys think about this. Basically, in another joint venture between Coinbase and Ethereum, but it seems like Coinbase is trying to build a lot of things on Ethereum these days. Yeah. So secured by Ethereum, empowered by Coinbase, low cost, open source. So great for for building stuff at a pretty feasible rate right like if you're if you're just trying to build stuff just to try it out this this would be a good place to maybe dabble for not too much cost uh, just for everyone listening if you do want to build stuff and dabble um test Excuse nets me. exist you know any of these chains have test nets as well sure. right so like even if you don't want to pay the polygon fees there is a polygon test net you know you get your your things you try building something there anyway um but uh, yeah, so it's, it's, I mean, it's good. They're open source. It's, you know, um, I mean, so it's fun to see another layer two um, set the year of the L2 
is uh is what we're we're seeing here between uh you know arbitrum optimism and and you know oh yeah paypal wants to optimism um, did they? Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. 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 So, so another layer two there. They were going to launch on Solana, but after the FTX oh, really? blow up, they basically moved bad, to bad idea. optimism. Yeah. So that killed yeah. Solana. That, I'll tell you that that was a good decision on their end, to be candid. Yeah. Optimism group has a lot of good things going for them. Yeah. Look at so, that. We can we can still compliment and be skeptical at the same time. Well, so this is it, right? I, I, in, again, you know, it's secured by Ethereum. I think every L2 at least has a, um, and I'm saying backdoor in a good way for the people using it. If I, you know, for whatever reason, get canceled on Arbitrum and, and all my, nobody's processing my transactions. Um, I believe I'm still able to pull out certain funds, uh, maybe just ETH. Um, back onto the base layer, um, the main layer, not the base layer, the L1, because base is now layer two. Um, but um, and anyway, but they, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if uh, Coinbase is getting a lot of heat because they are a big public company. Um, and they, uh, I think we, when we mentioned this before, when they were launching there, they have goals of decentralization, you know, progressive decentralization. So they're not the only ones running the whole thing. Um, but I, I like they get the heat, but I, I think Arbitrum and Optimism have foundations that, you know, control most of the governance token supply. Um, you know, like, like we saw with Arbitrum, right. When, when it had, they dropped their token and then they like, what was it? They like put, the proposal up for a vote to like send so many tokens to the foundation. And then they like did it before the vote finished. Right. Like they had complete control over all the funds any already. Um, and so I, anyway, I, I don't know. I mean, everyone is, uh, I, I think a lot of people are skeptical layer twos add some centralization. There's still some security that you get from the L one. And I think you're still able to pull out some funds, but, um, on the L one, but, uh, yeah, anyway, I don't know where I was going with that. Did you guys see um, the Aptos partnership with Microsoft regarding it's, AI and blockchain? It's not really a partnership. Yeah, Microsoft that's what investing. I figured, too. Yeah, Microsoft isn't really investing anything. They're basically putting something on the Microsoft platform and branding it as a partnership, but Microsoft well, isn't figured Aptos is kind of the... Uh, well, so remember, Aptos was supposed to be the Facebook blockchain, that's right. And so I just feel like Aptos is is eager to just figure out who from the mainstream they can just put their name next to to hopefully get some profits. I still can't believe that Pancake Swap uses Aptos as an L1. That still cracks me up. I don't know what strings they had to pull to do that, but hmm. uh, credit where credit's due, I suppose. Anywhere well, that's not the main L1 because Pancake Swap's been around long before yeah, pancake swaps originally on uh, bsc um but uh i mean they yeah, but are you can, also you can, they've been expanding can, they've gone yeah to ethereum aptos, they've gone to Polygon, aptos is aptos is one of those uh base layers for them so um if you look at what where you can kind of like build your trades in, it's obviously like pancake sure. swap native yeah. token bnb and then aptos i was like 
Aptos. I'm talking about partnerships like Coinbase too. Is they have a partnership yeah. with Coca Cola apparently for their oh, chain? Oh yeah, that, like yeah, what's that partnership going to do? See, <laughs> now that's a stable coin I would use. I would use the Coca Cola USD or the McDonald's Coca Cola coin. Like that would be you know Taco Bell USD. Send it my way. I'm using bring back, that one. Bring bring back Mirror <laughs> Protocol, please. Yeah, no. uh, Luna. Um, oh, that's no. good. <laughs> Get, can actually mirror the stocks, right? No, no, be no. a fun time. But yeah, yeah um, it's interesting week from a news standpoint. Um, this is probably the first summer we've had in a while where things have kind of just stayed flat. There hasn't been as much market fluctuation as there has been the past couple of summers since, since I've gotten involved in the yeah. space. I don't know if you remember the past two summers, guys, since we've been involved, were pretty volatile. So um, it's kind of nice to see just I, I'm not saying it's been valleys, but it it yeah. hasn't it hasn't been uh, crashes like like it has been. So that's been refreshing to see some stabilization. I wonder if that's due to some mainstream adoption, um, but it could also just be it. We're kind of just in some interesting times right now where yeah. it just kind of is what it is. And we just are. I don't know. I I I've been a beneficiary of the summer personally, so I'm not going to complain. Uh, but uh, but the I will say the past two summers I have taken it on the chin. So yeah. let's just put call it what it is. I'm kind of happy you. to have a a normal summer where it's been a good summer to invest a little bit and not like not feel like I'm <laughs> wondering where rent's going to come from next month. So. That's 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 where I sit with it at least, and so I don't know where you guys stand with that, but we can talk about that in another episode when we um, review kind of the state of the summer, essentially. Yeah, I I get what you're saying. I I think I've heard from people who have been, you know, around longer that um, like this is just that point in the in the cycle in the market cycle, right? Bitcoin's got a four year cycle um, sure. that they're is just always this lull where, you know, people are cheering, you know, a swing up or down of like a hundred dollars in price, you know, and it's like, there's uh so anyway, but yeah, call, calm before the storm, maybe Um looking forward to, uh yeah. Next. Also, when, when, should, when should we start the count, the countdown to the having just kidding. I, I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> Yeah, um, we should have a like, live like May? block counter right here, like it's going down every ten minutes. <laughs> Two hundred days until Bitcoin having. Yeah, are you are you allocating profits accordingly for the next having? No, don't. We this, again, no investment advice on this podcast. For the record, we yeah. are here to talk about the parallels of crypto and Christianity. So. We hope you enjoy this week's episode with Sam Arms. It was a great time uh, talking about CBDCs and regulation, um, especially from the Florida standpoint. Little did I know, I've been kind of following his work without knowing that it was him that was behind it. So it's kind of cool, uh, kind of serendipitous on my end to uh, be able to get his insights on where it is. And we hope you all enjoy that episode. And, uh, when you see this pan on the podcast, uh, we'll be with Sam. And uh, if you're watching the video, we hope you have a great week and hopefully you watch the episode. So we have with us today Samuel Arms. He is the founder of the Florida Blockchain Business Summit, I believe. 
Business Association. And uh, we're going to be talking crypto regulation, some of the things that he's been doing uh, here in Florida, banning CBDCs with the DeSantis administration, um, and also some of his pro-Bitcoin and pro-crypto policies. How are you doing today, Samuel? Good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Excited to be here and excited to talk. So do you prefer Sam or Samuel? Sam's fine. Uh, I always type out and write out Samuel just because, uh, I guess, formalities, but people call me a million different things under the sun. So Sam's fine. All right, let's go. Cool. So, uh, yeah, tell us about, I guess, the, uh, the Florida Blockchain Business Association. How did you get involved in this world? What brought you to Bitcoin and uh, where are you going? Yeah, so I guess I got into Bitcoin around 2012, 2013, not in a serious way, but I had a buddy who was like, hey, Sam, this is Bitcoin, this is the future, and I was like, okay, whatever. Uh, Don't really know much about it, but that was kind of like my first introduction. Then in 2016, 2016, yeah, 2016, I did research for United States Special Operations Command out of MacDill Air Force Base in Tampa, and I was researching whether Bitcoin was being used by ISIS, drug cartels, and essentially they wanted wanted to see how I could shut it down. And so I did that with a few friends of mine, did some research on that for them, and then in 2017, so when I founded my association, uh, which is now, it's the oldest state-focused Web3 Bitcoin Chamber of Commerce in the nation, um, and we've since passed five bills in the state legislature, with our most recent one being the anti-central bank digital currency bill. So we started as a grassroots organization uh, and still kind of are. A lot of what I do is grassroots led. What that means is it's very bottom up. I respond to what my members want as best as I can. uh, And we have a lot of boots on the ground. So even though we're a C6 Chamber of Commerce business focused, we still activate all the meetups around the state of Florida, so we keep in touch with like your average person, not just a business. And then we're obviously well-networked on elections, so we always publish a list of pro-Web3, pro-Bitcoin candidates around the state that we're supporting and fundraising for. So, And we, we do do a lot of fundraising, so I think last session, like we had, we, we got, I think, let me think. We got over a quarter million dollars in donations um, on both the congressional level and the state level to candidates that we wanted. So we try to be very effective in that realm. Well, that's awesome. Like, I mean, arguably right now, in my opinion, best state, best governor, best, you know, just government structure in general. What's been going on in Florida since COVID, it's just been it's been incredible seeing what what DeSantis has done and what, what the people of Florida have done and just the amount of people that have moved in from other places. And it's kind of been interesting because the crypto community, the Bitcoin community have somehow all t- congregated in Florida a little bit. And so just hearing what you're capable of doing on the grassroots level just kind of speaks to that. Um, because, I mean, we know of like Bitcoin Miami, all the stuff that happens in Miami, the mayor of Miami had huge with 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 the bitcoiners and everything that goes on there but um that that speaks to that a lot i, I don't know if i know i'm just kind of speaking in in platitudes and compliments here but i guess you can kind of give a little more insight being boots on the ground because i'm in minnesota i only can you know I, I hear about these things i read the stories but just hearing it from your perspective uh helps us understand when did this shift really happen from uh w- would you say like kind of around COVID, or has florida always been kind of a haven for um, this uh, this movement, so to speak. 
It's a good question. I mean, certainly when I started in 2017, Tampa, Tampa and Miami were still pretty big epicenters. I mean, it, Miami really has a lot of roots in the Bitcoin sphere. I mean, even if you really want to kind of stalk some of like the Satoshi emails, a lot of those people on those email lists had some attachment to Florida, actually, some of them in Miami. Um, the, the first government to accept Bitcoin for taxes was in Florida. Ethereum and Litecoin launched from Florida. The oldest Bitcoin hackathons in Florida. Uh, the first real world transaction was in Jacksonville to get those Bitcoin pizzas. So that was Florida. So we had a rich kind of history tied to Florida when it comes to Bitcoin in general, uh, which is pretty cool. Yeah. But yes, the COVID shift is really what brought a lot of people here. So traditionally, in the tech world and crypto included, it's cool to be in Silicon Valley and it's cool to be in New York City. And those types of people, even if they express certain values, always gravitate to where they think it is cool to be. And that was always San Francisco and New York City. New York, when, yep. When COVID happened, it surprisingly wasn't so cool anymore. And then they all came to Florida quietly. A lot of them, even still, it's it's a typical where in the thick of things, you don't want to speak up. But six months later, when all the uh, media attention is off or it's safe to come out and say certain things. Uh, so about six months after a lot of the lockdowns or probably a year, people are like, oh, yeah, I've been in Florida the whole time. Uh, I secretly moved here six months ago, and now I feel safe telling everybody, right? And so we had a lot of people in the Web3 crypto world move here uh, secretively and then more outspokenly come 2021. And then a lot of them stayed and said, hey, we're actually either going to move our business here or our headquarters. So then you saw that whole rush. Yeah. And it just exacerbated the situations, I think, in New York and San Francisco. I mean, you have to remember... San Francisco and California in general really didn't start opening up until what the end of 2022. Yeah, um, approximately. Yeah, like yeah. you still even had paranoia. Uh, New York City, you still had paranoia. So we only had two months in Florida. That's it. And so, and when I say two months, I mean, even that two months was like, oh no, I'm water skiing. Like, it was not that big of a deal. Um, you know, I think we had one day where we had a curfew or one week where we had a curfew. Um, so it, it was very weird in the sense that everything was normal here. And so a lot of the weird interactions that people had elsewhere in other parts of the country, I just simply have no experience of at yep. all, uh, which is great. But so a lot of people came here and said, hey, okay, this is where I want to set up shop. That momentum is now, you know, fast-tracked things here in Florida by at least a decade. Crazy. Yeah, no, it was, it was Florida, it was Iowa, and then I'm also going to throw Tennessee in the mix there because I saw a lot of people going to Nashville as well. And, yes. it, then, and then from the crypto space in general, too, um, uh, yeah, a lot of people went to Miami, but there's a lot of people that went to Puerto Rico, too, which was uh, yep. interesting as well. So, um yeah, that's just crazy, the, the shift that happened there. And now the southeastern part of the United States is considered to be the highest um, growing economic uh, region of the country, according to CNBC a couple of weeks ago. So, if I mean, 
makes sense based on all the action that went down there. So, yeah. and it's actually been like that for a while. I yeah, mean, you have to understand has. that um, all the money is still in Silicon Valley, New York, because of network effects. But it's slowly draining, and because of those network effects, they are exponential. So whatever that trigger moment is, you know, it's kind of like, why is Facebook so big? Because everyone else is on Facebook. Eventually, when no one's on Facebook, no one will be on Facebook anymore, you know? And so that will happen in a matter of time, probably at least another decade before all the money says, hey, okay, we're officially done with Silicon Valley, or we're officially done with New York, or whatnot we're setting up shop in austin or miami or nashville or you know somewhere in the uh you know north carolina right so north all carolina that's teams, happening yep. yeah yep i might have missed this samuel but uh oh sam you have military connections or you just independent contractor what was the uh, relationship it was just a research project uh oh, okay. so yeah i was not a part of the military never have been i've had family members who are and a lot of people in my circle are in the military in some way, shape, or form. But I personally have always just been a civilian. Gotcha. Did you get reached out to because you knew Bitcoin? Or like, I'm kind of curious how that came about, right, that you researched you know, Bitcoin for the government. I just had a lot of good connections. Okay. Uh, and a lot of people who essentially were like, hey, Sam's the guy. And they okay. just put me That's in cool. there. I was like, okay, here That's I go. Cool. Hey, guys. So it did, uh, I guess if you didn't have military connections, um, I mean, did that kind of start you on this path of, um, you know, wanting to be political about it? Do you have any like political background? Um, not necessarily. My parents yeah. have always been very political, uh, in the sense that like they never ran for office, but they're just, we're always politically active protesting yeah. one thing or another. Um, when the whole Terry Schiavo thing was happening, they actually brought, my family, us as kids, Dude. to those protests, right, uh, in Florida. So they were always politically active. Um, and so I always had a political bug. Political conversations were the norm in my household. Sorry, I'm just to dig a little bit. Like, you went from what to then running this? Um, or it, it's more of a, I guess, maybe, I don't know. You said you've, you've passed laws, right? So it, it is political. It's not just a, a business association, right? The FPBA, you know, how did you... Chambers of Commerce are 501c6s or nonprofits with the mission of focusing on business. So like the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, which okay. is one of the biggest lobbying groups in the United States, mm -hmm. is a Chamber of Commerce, right? So they focus on business interests, which, which often means being politically active. Does that make you. sense? That makes Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, got yep. I see the connection now. Let's talk about the big topic because I think everybody's interested in this uh, whole CBDC deal in Florida. And I know you were instrumental in that, getting the DeSantis administration to ban CBDCs outright. So what went into that? Um, you know, how long has the process been going on? And, uh, you know, what are the kind of like next steps, I guess, to see that policy continue? Also, who did you need to educate about uh, the dangers of CBDC? Because I know sometimes in the C-suite of... Uh, capital you know even respectively at the state level they're not always privy to what's going on from from those fronts technologically speaking probably more so in florida but just from my experience with uh politicians sometimes it's uh they don't even know what until they're told yeah so luckily central bank digital currencies isn't a concept that's very hard to understand uh most of our money is electronic the idea of authoritarian money is already on the mind of most people uh, in fact, you can look you can look at people 
and from a Christian perspective too, you always hear talk about a one world currency, one world government, stuff like that. Uh, and so in the American psyche, the idea of a one world currency has always been there. And so a central bank digital currency taps into that psyche. I haven't met a politician who doesn't really understand that concept or idea, even if they don't know the technical know-how. When you understand a topic or idea, the technicalities don't really matter. I always tell people, I don't need to know how electrons work to know that if I turn on a light switch, the light comes on, right? Uh, it's plain and simple. So understanding the concept was incredibly easy. Uh, I think it became a hot topic because at the time, uh, you had certain bills in other states being passed that were kind of fishy and thinking, okay, is this actually a gateway to FedNow? And this is all during when FedNow was being heavily researched and being prepped to launch, which I believe now it has launched. Mm -hmm. So there was this idea of, hey, wait a minute, what actually is money? There's nothing wrong with what I would call efficient money, but there is something wrong with authoritarian money. And there's a clear difference between that. So it actually wasn't too hard of a sell. Uh, luckily, it was already during session. So normally, for example, Florida session is 60 days out of the year. And you have committee weeks before that 60 days. And so that is your time period to find a senator and a representative to sponsor a bill. Or if the governor makes your bill a priority, you have all kinds of rule workarounds to essentially get that bill introduced in the middle of the session. So our bill was actually introduced late into session, but passed with flying colors because it was governor priority. Uh, so he loved the issue. It actually, and they told us, get this, it was a very controversial legislative session because DeSantis attacked everything from abortion to trans rights to education to immigration. So all your hot button issues that you can imagine uh, that Americans are looking at for like a top five voting priority. They told us that they got the most calls about the CBDC bill than any other issue that they tackled, which was like incredible. I mean, I wouldn't have even expected that. I mean, I would have thought no. abortion would have been like the most calls that you get. Clearly, I mean, that's one of the hottest issues today. But no, it was the CBDC bill. So once they started getting that momentum, they were like, oh, this is a clear game changer and clear winner. As far as in the future, there's not much more to do other than I would say wait for a lawsuit. I mean, we have to see how things play out. If the current administration or any future administration says, hey, businesses in Florida, you have to accept this authoritarian money, then the business will have to say, okay, I'm either picking the side with the feds or I'm picking the side with the state. And either the state will protect the business and the state will sue the federal government or the federal government will the business will take the side of the federal government and the federal government will sue the state, right? Mm -hmm. And so it will all come down to lawsuits yeah. in the legal system. And of course, as more states pass uh, CBDC bans, then that will just strengthen that case and further bog down the federal government. So we've had this discussion a little bit amongst ourselves um, and we've been trying to follow it on, on whatever, Twitter and everywhere else. Um, in your opinion, do you consider FedNow to be a CBDC? Do you consider it to be like pre-CBDC? Does your CBDC ban like um, I, I I don't like does it have is it related to Fed now in any way? I don't know. As we've seen it roll out, um, you know, over the last month um, or during the last month, and then um, I I don't know. I'm I'm just trying to understand that. So like, will like Florida banks not 
you know, participate because it seems to be opt in at this point. But uh, anyway, I, I don't know. You've probably researched it, you know, a hundred times more than any of us did. Um, so, I, I, opinions on Fed now in general. So, the way you should approach things is the following Fed now is simply a liquidity platform, it's a way to get better liquidity to banks that need it. That's fine, easy, well said, and good. Uh, you're currently seeing multiple businesses like a PayPal come out with their own CBDC products, and FedNow would be a platform in which you could implement a CBDC. So a lot of people will discuss technicalities about, is FedNow a platform for a CBDC? Will it be the next CBDC? In my opinion, it's kind of one of those who cares. Uh, we know what's coming, so you just get ahead of it. So FedNow technically just simply a liquidity platform but easily fed now could become an application on your phone and then just say hey you know actually we don't need the bank intermediary you can have the fed now app on your phone i mean technology is incredibly easy it's the laws that are hard our goal would be to ban any kind of authoritarian money that comes our way so for example if they were to use some type of FedNow product to get around Florida's ban, we would simply probably update the law to ensure that whatever they're trying to do is still banned. So it's a nuanced subject, and it's kind of in uncharted territory because the other question is, do we have a state have the authority to ban certain types of currency, which some will say no, some will say yes, others will say, I don't care, sue me, right? Uh, that's typically what states do when they just decide they don't want to follow the federal government. Uh, marijuana is the easiest case to point to. So, yep. you know, you don't necessarily have to look too much into the weeds to understand the concept, where you're going, and then how you want to stop that. Well, shoot. I mean, just look at things historically. I like going back to, like, kind of Revolutionary War when George Washington was visiting all the colonies, essentially saying, hey, I'm president, and how many places rejected him. And then when you looked at when federal currency first got issued how many states had their own individual currencies and had to factor in exchange rates etc cetera, etc cetera. and just bringing that all under one blanket was a challenge in itself from from that background looking at the history of money it's a it's kind of a it's a very interesting topic when you when you dive into it and when you understand how um radical and cavalier the whole thing was starting out just in our nascent stages of a country. So uh, that's something we should probably do an episode on sometimes. Another, put that on the list of future future episodes. Um, we have a long list of future episodes. So, um, but Sam, yeah. I'm kind of curious, have you ever interacted with somebody or had to argue the point that is actually uh, pro-CBDCs? Yeah, I've had some comments on like a LinkedIn post where people okay. will go, well, CBDCs will help prevent crime and CBDCs will actually help the underbanked and stuff like that. They pretty mm -hmm. much use all the arguments that we would use in favor of a Bitcoin um, and they just use it on the CBDC. Um, and CBDCs would be more efficient, right? But they'd also be more authoritarian. So, you know, I think you will see people that are pro CBDC and that's okay. It doesn't really change any part of the equation where are they from delaware <laughs> i actually don't know where they were from 
Uh, but certainly I could guess some of their political leanings. <laughs> That's where, see, that is another future episode. How much of the money is controlled in Delaware? It's all where all the credit card companies are from. It's where all the big banks are headquartered that basically have these exceptions to the to the rules for whatever the CBDC that will be ushered in. So that'll be that'll be interesting down the line. Yeah, I think there's a lot here with the CBDC discussion, and um, you know, you brought up the Christian topic, and we've talked to a number of Christians, and it's kind of a reoccurring theme both in Christian circles, but also conservative circles, this, this concept of getting debanked or getting deplatformed. And, uh, you know, a number of people, I think even Brian Brown with the, uh, the national, what Institute for the family, um, talks about getting banned from payment processes, you know, Stripe goes and PayPal goes and, you know, people don't realize there's really only a handful of these actors out there that can, that can handle these payments. Um, and when they all start going, you know, you very quickly lose access to any sort of financial resources where people can even pay you for services. You basically can't conduct business, right? So uh, with the CBDC topic, you know, you, we can call it authoritarian money. We can, we can kind of label it all these boogeymans, but like really what is the problem? Well, it's this idea that uh, government can basically tell you where you can or can't spend your money. And, um, Going back to, I want to say, what was this like February, March with all the bank failures? Um, I think there was a couple different opinions. Some people were happy to see some of these banks going under. Um, but you correctly pointed out, of course, that there's only like, what, three banks that even dealt with crypto companies at the time. And if, you, if we lost all three, it's like, you know, where is Coinbase going to bank then? You kind of need some of these, these banks that are maybe friendly to crypto and Bitcoin so that we can live in this dual world that we do. Um, but then on the other hand, um, yeah, it does seem like in a lot of cases, a lot of these payment processes in these banks kind of operate in lockstep and they're all kind of just towing the same line. So when it comes back to the CBDC discussion, do you really see that the problem is the centralized aspect of it that is going to be the federal government making these decisions without the bank intermediaries um you know is the problem just this concept of maybe a cashless society like why why exactly are cbdc's bad what do they allow the government to do that they can't do in the current system so you could pontificate a billion different ways so i'll say this um if you believe that your inflation target is two percent and you believe that inflation is a good thing to induce consumer spending why wouldn't you just get rid of the inflation rate and say the money you have in the bank expires Right. Uh, the Bank of England has already mentioned that idea, but that idea is logically in step with our current 2% target with inflation. It's the exact same concept, except you're just saying, okay, instead of devaluing your money 2%, we're actually just taking some of it away. Um, CBDCs would just be a more efficient way to probably uh, implement Keynesian economics. Uh, but then also, yeah, you could tie it to any political. ESG score that you want. That's what DeSantis says pretty often. Um, like we we already have a pseudo CBDC through the private markets already. Just like we don't have a social credit score, but we have a credit score, right? And so your credit score determines a lot about your life. Not as much as a social credit score, but it could, right? Uh, we don't have an authoritarian digital identity, but we still have Facebook accounts. Right. And Facebook is pretty invasive about 
what your digital identity is. Um, it's no coincidence that you're now needing to verify your actual identities, whether that's your driver's license or your social security number, sometimes for some of these blue check marks on Instagram, Twitter, soon to be Facebook, I'm sure. So CBDC is, I think, a natural conclusion to everything that is already happening and would just be an easier way to implement things that are already happening. People are already getting deplatformed. They're already getting shut out of certain things. Now it would just be easier to do that. You wouldn't have to go through private businesses necessarily to do that. There is an interesting thing to be said about the incentive structure of, say, the banking system and the federal government. Although we like to think that the federal government and the banks are hand-in-hand, hand, and certainly they in large part are, a central bank digital currency run by the Treasury or the Fed would make you question why you need a bank at all, especially if they can issue that directly to the consumer through an app. Banks know that. Banks aren't stupid, and they need to make sure that they protect themselves or are in business. So a CBDC could potentially change the entire way our banking system operates, uh, for good or bad. And so banks are aware of that, and I think that's one of the only reasons you haven't seen central bank digital currencies implemented quicker is because the banking lobby knows, hey, we need to make sure that we roll this out correctly so that we don't kill ourselves as institutions. Yeah, to uh, kind of go off of that, this conversation, the, um, I don't know, I guess in my head, the one thing, you know, if the government were to right now, which they probably could, I feel like the banks and the government, I don't know, they seem, they seem too hand in hand for my preference, right? But they could start to say, hey, look, we'll just, you know, we're going to charge a 2% fee every year, you know, on, on money that's been sitting for, you know, over a year. Um, I, I think the biggest thing against that would be um, the idea of cash, right? Because if, if I knew my bank was going to do that, I would just pull it all out and hold cash because then it's not disappearing, right? And I can still spend it and I can still everything else with it. So um, I I don't know I, where I'm going with this, but the, um, so obviously Bitcoin, Bitcoin's good because it doesn't inflate anyway, right? Cash will still inflate, but um, uh, it allows for all those privacy aspects. And so, um, and, you know, whatever, it, you can't, authoritatively, you know, unless they came knocking on my door and seized all my, you know, found and seized all my cash, right? They can't take it away from me at the same way that they could digitally, right? So it, it is, I think, like you said, this kind of efficiency thing. Um, so anyway, um, I have been um, seen in a few places, right? Because especially the way that all these payment things are centralized, right? Anytime you go through Visa or MasterCard, there's this fee that they charge. And um, I've actually been seeing more and more um, restaurants in particular that they'll give you a discount if you pay in cash, right? Because then it's actually costing them a certain amount. Um, anyway, so especially since you work with businesses, um, I, I, I'm curious, the, again, sorry, this is a ramble of a question, but the, <laughs> You know, um, there seem to be incentives, one, just in general against using the current payment processing system. So then, but then you could also uh, use blockchain and Bitcoin to bolster those incentives. I, uh, do you see businesses um, being more accepting of Bitcoin, being more simply anti the current system? You know, I don't know. Sorry, that was a real ramble of a. A question. Businesses will do whatever they want to do. Uh, a lot of businesses, businesses have been incentivizing people to give them cash for a very long time. That's nothing new. 
Uh, you will often see gas stations, when you see their little signs, they'll say credit, cash, and debit. And they'll have three different prices for gas for each one of those. Obviously, there's differences because of the processing fees. On the second hand, though, a lot of people don't want to hold or deal with cash. Uh, and so you have people simply not wanting to deal with cash and willing to pay that fee just so they don't have to have cash on hand. It's a security risk. It's harder for people to calculate. It's slower, even though you can still pay people under the table. So it'll still be efficient in, I think, uh, more crowded areas where you have backhand dealings. Uh, and I also think cash will be around because the U.S. actually wants the U.S. would rather criminal activity be done in dollars than something else, right? So that's one reason why we won't necessarily be banning cash, especially $100 bills anytime soon. $100 bills are the world reserve currency for criminal activity, so to speak, right? The drug trade, human trafficking trade, rare goods trade, it's all done in dollars. And we're okay with that because it's in dollars and not someone else's currency, right? So from the criminal aspect, we certainly would rather not ban cash just so that we know it's still being used around the world. Businesses, they'll do whatever's easiest. I'm sure I know businesses that are accepting Bitcoin and you know, Lightning is certainly a game changer there. I think a lot of businesses do it more as a novelty right now uh, and will continue to do it as a novelty. It's good to have as a backup plan. And I think a lot of businesses that accept it understand that it is a backup, even if people aren't going to use it right now. Uh, and so they're passionate about that. But I think payment and credit card processors are just so easy and cash is so easy that things will probably continue on as they are now for quite some time. So can you say that one more time? Like, so basically what you're saying is $100 bills are the currency for illegal activity. Yes. Okay. See, it's just what I was saying, guys. Like, that's why that's why the ten dollar bill is valued so much when you go to bars because everybody wants to pay in twenties, and the bartender needs more tens than they do twenties. So they're gonna serve you your drink first because you have the tens. It's different different levels of currency for different types of industries determine the value of what the activity is. So, the ramble on, but not necessarily true, but. This is a little psychological study that I did one time in college was if I went to the bartender, use only use ten dollar bills because everybody else was paying with twenties, would I get served before the people paying with twenties? And I will say probably seven to eight times out of ten, I would get they would come to me first because I had the ten versus the twenty. So it was a fun and that's little because they needed your ten to break the other twenties. Correct. Yeah. There's just a little fun little sociology experiment that I But how would you that advertise that? Would you say, Hey, I have a ten dollar bill? Here's Oh the no, you I just want. you just show hey, you you know, everybody's crowded bar, everybody's holding their money or their card. And a lot of times it's twenties when you're in those situations. I used to bartend. Everybody's always trying to pay with the twenty because that's what the ATM spits out. So when you speak currencies, for example, what 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 makes money in the ATM world? Twenty dollar bills. Hmm. So it's interesting. It's, it's it's all interesting when you look at different industries. How how it's not so much the value of the dollar, but it's what dollar value is being used for that specific activity. So it, it, I would one hundred percent agree with illegal activity being hundred dollar bills. So I'm sorry, a little side tangent there, but it's just kind of interesting how 
um, how the value of something is perceived to the individual who is in the process of changing you know, the money changers, so to speak, and it, it ebbs and flows depending on the circumstance. Well, we can um, pivot a little bit, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Samuel, I think, uh, yeah, I think you're, uh, you're Presbyterian, right? So you're probably comfortable with the, uh, the drinking culture that Catholics are as well. I was yeah. raised uh, basically Pentecostal, and uh, we don't like drinking much at all. But... Uh, yeah, so maybe tell us a little bit about that. Uh, I, am I right? You're Presbyterian? Yeah, yeah, I'm Reformed Presbyterian. Um, okay. But I, I still don't drink much. I can drink, but I was never super into it. Oh, I don't drink much anymore either. Once you, once you have a, once you have a, your, shoot, I have a nine-month-old. Once you have, once you have a nine-month-old at home, your drinking days are, are done, long gone. So. Well, I don't have yeah. kids, uh, but I've never really uh, been that much into alcohol, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm I'm kind of curious about this question. It's on the uh, the the docket, but uh, we talked about previously. We hosted a, a Catholic Bitcoiner, and um, there's been some discussions about things like this on uh, on Twitter. But uh, so Bitcoin in politics, a lot of people, especially with the Robert Kennedy campaign, um, are talking about single issue voting. You know, I'm going to vote for whoever was pro Bitcoin. Obviously, you have. Robert Kennedy, you also have, uh, what is the other guy's name? Vivek, I think, the Indian guy. Vivek uh, Ramaswamy. That's it. Vivek, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. Yeah, some people seem to be making this a, a staple of, or at least a, a discussion item in the, uh, the 2024 election is crypto and are you pro-Bitcoin, are you anti-CBDC? What's kind of your opinion here? Uh, do you think that's like a legitimate strategy do you think that's going to be a determining factor in the election and then from a christian perspective like can we even be single issue voters i know a lot of christians love robert kennedy but just because of certain aspects that maybe he doesn't have the same opinion on say abortion and i haven't even seen if he's put out an official statement on it but you just assume because obviously he's running running under the democratic nominee um even though we love all of his other policies, like we can't, we can't be pro Robert Kennedy. Well, at least a lot of Christians would say that. What is, uh, what's your opinion there, Sam? Do you think, uh, do you think this is like a legitimate uh, political election talking point? Okay. So your first question is, uh, what single issue voting for Bitcoin is Bitcoin. Do you, yeah. Do you think this is going to stay for the campaign? You think that's going to be, yeah. You think that's going to be important for the 24, what pers- 2024 yeah, election? What- and if if you had to quantify it, what percentage of impact do you think that's actually gonna push vote a certain way? Because I don't I don't think it's that gonna be as big of a thing as because the space yeah. is still the space is still fairly nascent. Yeah, very little. Uh, the amount of people who Bitcoin your, is your number priority number one priority is very small. I always give people the example: if you're a Republican and someone's pro Bitcoin, but they're also pro pro-immigration, pro-abortion, pro-universal uh, health care, but because they're pro-Bitcoin, you're going to vote for them? Not going to happen. On the flip side, if you have someone who, and you're a Democrat, who's pro-Bitcoin, they're anti-abortion, they're anti-legal immigration, they're anti-universal health care, whatever the hot button is, they're not going to vote for him, right? So if we're realistic... It's not a top five issue. It's def- maybe a top 10 issue, but it's not a top five issue for your average voter. 
people who are backing Robert Kennedy are living in a dream world. Um, a lot of these people, <laughs> Bitcoiners he might be too. <laughs> huh? I said he might be living in a dream world too. No, he's not. He's got no. a very specific plan and mission. Okay. I think he's very Trump-esque where he's a rich guy who's old, who's saying, screw it. Uh, if I don't do something now, I have nothing to show for my life. Um, and he's not afraid to die, right? So this is his way of going out, making an impact, and getting his last few words in. Uh, die so, hard moment. Yeah, correct. Um, this is his legacy that he's going for. But he's not going to have a debate. He's not going to win. Anyone giving that man money, um, libertarians, which most Bitcoiners are, have a penchant for losing. And they continue that pension by backing losers. And Robert <laughs> F. Kennedy is definitely a loser in that sense. Uh, Vivek, I'm more interested in. I don't think he's going to win either. I released a video today kind of talking about uh, some of his strategy uh, on the presidential stage. Vivek is an interesting guy. Um, probably would be a terrible president and very yeah. bad at governing. But he serves a certain purpose. And... He's a great speaker, and I have a feeling that if he loses the primary, he might run for the Senate in Ohio because there's a Democrat up mm -hmm. for re-election there. Or he might stay in Ohio and try to run for something else. Um, Single-issue voter, that was your first question, Bitcoin. Second question was, is Christians, yeah, is a Christian being a single-issue voter is pretty stupid. Uh, I guess the only thing I would argue is, obviously, there's clear moral lines around something like abortion, maybe other issues. It's maybe harder to dedicate. So, you know, abortion, I get, um, but like universal health care or immigration, you know, you can make Christian arguments for both of those right on either side. Um, and although I would argue one way, I can't exactly tell you, well, the Bible says this about, immigration for example uh or be very specific so certainly you have to look at it holistically um and i think it's dumb to do otherwise uh at least personally does that answer your two questions yeah um crypto politics just in general though maybe not a single issue voter statement but i'm sure you've worked with people on the opposite side of the aisle from yourself um All the time. as a yeah, as a uh, as a lobbyist, and um, you know, how do you how do you kind of reconcile that with your Christianity? What kind of you know, what are the kind of the qualms that you face in that world? Um, that's a good question. I don't think it's actually as morally hard as you think. So, I'll give me an example. Like, I go to the gym every day, and I work out and have gym partners with a variety of different political affiliations. But we don't talk about it. Why? Because our focus is on getting big and lifting weights, right? And some of those guys push me super hard, and I push them. And for that hour and a half in which I'm in the gym, nothing else really matters. Uh, when you're in the political world, I can get anybody to vote for my bill. And I can do that in a variety of ways because I think my bill is a good bill. So working with certain people who may even not be Christians at all or maybe even don't like Christianity – well, if they vote for my bill, that's not an immoral thing, I don't think, right? Um, so it's not as hard, I think, as you would think it is. Yeah, Selfishly, just... I just want—can uh, I ask a selfish question? Where where are you seeing 
the pulse of this uh what what's your pulse on things being a little bit closer to the political sphere with the with the primaries going on right now because <clears throat> like who do i think is gonna win well no just in just in general like because i'm not even i don't know what what to say right now i just don't believe polls anymore i see yeah you shouldn't i see i see, I see desantis i see desantis's actions speaking louder than trump's words um Tim Scott's the only one speaking fluent evangelicalism right now, and then Nikki Haley's kind of just out there. I I don't know. I I, I kind of have a feeling. I know it's between you know DeSantis and Trump, but ultimately I I just don't know what what to believe at this point because I hear a lot of different things from a lot of different angles, and, and I am pretty plugged in myself. But I I just like hearing it from other people that um kind of live and breathe this stuff a little bit more um from. Uh, working with that um, that area, and and does Florida want DeSantis to um, not be move on from governor and be president? I've heard that Florida, some Floridians would rather just have him remain governor, and oh, some, yeah. some some are like some understand the bigger picture of it. So it's no, yeah. I mean none of us want him to leave. I mean certainly, um, if he did, that's okay. But uh, we always joke that we wish he'd use his influence to abolish the two-term governors and just make it three or four and then just we'd re-elect them a third <laughs> time right um, sure so people are very big fans uh the primary yeah i wouldn't pay attention to polls right now everything's about momentum i think the debates will help i don't think anyone i don't think anyone has a chance other than uh i think vivek and desantis will be it um well, interesting yeah the, scott haley christie are all losers um in a very big way and have zero purpose or chance. They all have their own agendas um, uh, that really don't serve anything other than trying to raise money and funnel money to their networks. Um, well, Christie's there for the McDonald's runs. So. I think Vivek's oh going to have a lot of problems for a lot of reasons. But Yeah. Yeah. Chris Christie's just a disgusting person. Um, Are you putting Trump I, out of that equation then? Uh, yeah. I, I dislike Chris Christie far more. Um He's just disgusting. Um, so it's interesting. I, if I were you, Americans don't really pay attention until after Christmas. The nope. Iowa primary is in January, so everything you're seeing, it doesn't matter. Uh, so much could happen. We have short memories. Uh, so come November, look at the polling then. See how you feel. Do your typical gut test. You know, when you're at church or when you're out in public, what are you hearing people say? What are you hearing people see? And are they going like I, I have a lot of people in my gym who are like, I love DeSantis, but I'm still voting for Trump. Right. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And I'll pull them and, and sometimes their opinions change, but most likely they don't. That's the other thing about these elections is the polls don't really change too much. Mm-hmm. Um, so with Trump's lead, uh, I don't know how I see that closing, although I DeSantis's plan, I know what his plan is to slowly build momentum up into Iowa. And so he still certainly has a chance. Um but I would not waste your time looking at the day to day. Your your mental capital is better spent elsewhere. Precisely. That that's t- typically what I tell people too. And I'll say I know Iowa's interesting, but I think New Hampshire is going to be the the breadwinner ultimately for the determining factors from statistically where the primary winner has come out of. It's usually been the winner of New Hampshire. 
because that's where the tide shifted when Trump won um, in 2016, or was when he won New Hampshire after losing Iowa to Ted Cruz. And uh, you can kind of look at a historical trend that way too. But it'll be it'll be interesting. It, one of the more interesting uh, primary cycles in in our lifetime, at least. So it's the biggest election of our life, you know, just like twenty twenty one, yeah, and just like twenty sixteen was, and just like twenty twelve was, right? Every anyway. election, <laughs> man. Sick of that uh, tagline. Um, I I know we talked a lot about CBDC, so you know we're kind of talking blockchain, Bitcoin, crypto. Um, with like as an undertone there, but to be a little more explicit, I, I'm kind of curious um, your thoughts. Have you dealt with people like um, so you're the Florida blockchain business coalition, right? So you're not specifically Bitcoin. You're not. Um, I, and so I, I'm curious if you, you know, have you run into Bitcoin maxis who don't like what you're doing because you're not only promoting Bitcoin? Are you and maybe your personal thoughts? Are you personally a maxi are you um you know or uh, where do you see other cryptocurrencies fitting into all of this um yeah. you know I, I know we mentioned earlier right that like i mean paypal launched a, a cbdc type of token um you know i i like does that fit into your vision of a, a blockchain future um you know these private tokens i i don't know i'm curious all your thoughts on on that if I was just a Bitcoin maxi organization, I wouldn't have any money to do anything. Uh, so very few of my donations come from Bitcoiners. Uh, they don't really give out money. They might say that they do, but and they have gotten better, but uh, they really don't. Um, they benefit from my policies, though. So they're very fortunate that they give me no money, but they benefit from what I do. So the majority of people who have supported my cause since the beginning have been mostly blockchain and Web3 companies. Um, yeah, so certainly a lot of Bitcoin maxis uh, will dislike that. My name's blockchain or but I'll use terms like Web3. I often uh, I'll tell them to their face, like I kind of treat them like you would a trans person. Like I say, well, tell me what your pronouns are, what terms would you like me to use so that you don't get offended because <laughs> um, it's pretty much the exact same personality in a lot of ways um, so to me it doesn't matter too much uh, you know, my job is to get policy passed that helps the businesses here in the state and push an agenda here in the state and I will do whatever it takes to do that makes sense I I, I see okay now it makes more sense sorry I, I think I was off a little bit on this so you're you are yeah, you're representing, you're helping blockchain businesses who, yeah, okay, that that makes a little more sense. Um, so, um, I, I mean, I guess maybe personally, and so, um, you know, we've had this discussion too, right, about um, currency, you know, do we need a million digital currencies, right, of Bitcoin and every altcoin, um, you know, does a token represent um, something besides a currency? Is it, you know, like, like? as you're representing some of these web three businesses, right? They launch a token. It's a governance token. It's a utility token. It's something else. So um, I, what's your vision for a, um, you know, a, a blockchain future when the, the U S everybody, you know, you've passed all your laws, everybody, all, every state is on board. We have a blockchain future, um, you know, is everything accepted as currency? Are we still just using Bitcoin? Maybe, dogecoin well i don't know as a currency and and i i don't know what what's what's the the greater vision i guess okay what's the greater vision that's a better question 
So sure. my vision is to simply ensure that whatever happens on a federal global level, Florida is safe. And I will do whatever it takes to okay. make that vision possible. So what does that entail, for example? Hopefully we're going to be passing a bill this legislative session that ensures that digital gold and silver recognizes specie in the state of Florida. If you have digital gold and silver, what other things are digital commodities? Um, you get my drift? So that will, and we'll make sure that that digital gold and silver doesn't have to be created by the Federal Reserve. So it can come from anywhere, or maybe it can come from Florida's own chief financial officer or Florida's own treasury, or maybe that treasury can hold on to digital gold and silver and other digital commodities. Um, I want to ensure that we're insulated from a potential dollar collapse in any way, shape or form. And I also want to ensure that, yeah, we have updated technical infrastructure, whatever that looks like, whether that's using a blockchain or tokens or not. Right? There's multiple avenues to pursue. Other legislation that I'm looking at is, you know, how do we get banks to stop discriminating against crypto Web3 companies? Uh, that's certainly top of mind. Uh, what about banks actually being able to accept digital assets so that they can hold on to them? Uh, wouldn't that be pretty neat? So that's what I'm working on. All right. That's very cool. Go so on, we're kind of wrapping it up here, running a little bit out of time, but maybe we can just hit one last little topic. Um, we talked about uh, Christianity and crypto, Christianity and Bitcoin. I'm kind of curious about your personal philosophy regarding this. Like why... Why are you in the industry? I know you said you're here to see that Florida succeeds, but you know, it kind of begs the question, I suppose, why? Um, does your faith inform that? Is there some reason that uh, you think Bitcoin and crypto and these things are prevalent that could maybe help Christians? Uh, or is it just business for you? So I have a really boring answer. Uh, I believe that my goal in life is to do whatever God wants me to do and hopefully find that I'm be on the right track. And so he opens the right doors and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Very cheesy answer, but I do believe and I do think it's true. Uh, I love what I do. I wouldn't do it otherwise. And I feel like there is definitely a divine mission or purpose behind everything that I do. Even if I didn't think that, of course, there is anyway. Uh, God doesn't need me to think that for there be for there to be a divine purpose, right? So certainly it's not like every day when i'm helping a business i'm like oh this is uh for christianity for example it's not like forward thinking in my mind it's in the back end like there is a greater vision or purpose to what i'm doing even if i don't necessarily see that does that make sense of course it makes sense i mean that's i would say that's kind of why i think all of us are in some way or shape here right i mean you can spin it with the political argument but most political arguments really come back to the religious aspect of it. Um, you know, why are we conservative or why are we not conservative? Well, it comes down to you, your beliefs, right? What you kind of hold, hold to be fundamentally valuable. And uh, we spoke about like Christians getting debanked, uh, conservative organizations getting pushed out of, you know, certain institutional systems and Bitcoin, crypto, these things can offer a lot of opportunities um, you know, for Christians that yeah. otherwise we wouldn't have, right? So, and we, uh, Matt yeah, and I went to... Yeah, my hope would be that... Yeah. yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to mention that Matt and I went to the Thank God for Bitcoin conference. And, um, you know, obviously that is there because 
there were Christians that are drawn to these things, you know, for very obvious reasons. Um, yeah. Anyway, continue with what you're going to say. Yeah, I mean, I think the the goal for everybody should be to try to see if your churches will start accepting Bitcoin. I've certainly tried; uh, hasn't worked out too well. Um, but you certainly, I still put that bug in in some of my pastors' ears sometimes, where it's like, "Hey, why don't you like take some Bitcoin that I could give you and just hold it on like an official church wallet or something of the sort?" Haven't taken me up on the idea yet. Uh, and I, and I understand why they haven't, because they're so risk-averse, and you have to be very careful when you're handling other people's money, right? And so it makes sense. But, you know, there's little things we can be doing like that to push that conversation forward. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, it would help a lot if Christians were using Bitcoin and accepting it. But I also think that there's a lot, of, there's a lot more Christians in this space than we you know, tend to admit. Kind of like you said, when you're in the gym, you don't really bring up these conversations, um, you know, with politics and whatnot. It's the same with business, right? We don't really talk about Christianity as much in this sphere, but because of just the nature of the technology and, you know, what it's here to do, I feel like there's a lot of Christians. And if you really get down to it, you talk to them, you find out. Um, well, I mean, what has your experience been? Do you think there's many Christians in this space? you think there's less Christians in this space than there should be? Or there's definitely a lot of people who believe in a god there's a lot of people who believe in a divine purpose um you know there's a lot of people who go to christian churches for sure uh, where it gets tricky is you know some of their personal philosophies you know you'll have someone who says i'm a christian but i'm also an anarchist and then it's like okay <laughs> thought about your philosophies in life do you actually understand what you believe um and I run into that all the time. But yes, there are there are very large amounts of very influential people who take their Christianity very seriously. And a lot of them are very close friends of mine. A lot of them have been on my board. A lot of them I've done business with. And it has made it very, very fun. Um, because you see a grander vision and you can talk about things very clearly and intently. And that's very refreshing and very invigorating uh in a lot of ways so there are there are a lot of christians at least currently i think as adoption grows there will be less um whatever adoption means uh as more people get onboarded right not necessarily a lot of those people will simply use it for its use not because of any ideology um but yeah it is pretty cool there there is a lot of religious undertones to it for sure Sam, where can people get involved with your work? Um, where can they uh, follow you to see uh, see what's going on? Yeah, so check me out on Twitter. On my Twitter, you'll find, which is just Samuel Arms. Uh, then you can look in my Substack and my Linktree. My Linktree has my Substack, my TikTok, my YouTube. And then for your business and you want to focus on Florida policy, you can visit my website, which is also on my Linktree, link which is just fbba.io, Florida Blockchain Business Association. And that's how you can get more formally boots on the ground involved in pushing Florida policy forward. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on with us. Everybody check out Sam. Uh, this is the Crypto Conversion Podcast. We appreciate you all for stopping by and listening. Hope you all give us a like, comment, review, subscribe, and we will see you all on the next episode. Peace.